Let us begin. Now we're in the book of Exodus. We're gonna be in chapter 12 just for a brief second and then we'll jump into chapters 13 and 14. We're gonna try to cover a lot of ground tonight. We've been sitting in Exodus for a while, taking our time. I'm gonna try to amp us up just a little bit, speed through a little bit more so we can cover more ground. But we're at some exciting text tonight. So let's open up chapter 12, verse 37. Let's start here and we'll take it and we will run with it. Chapter 12, verse 37 says this. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sakoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. Okay, let's pause. This is cool. This sets us up for where we are in the story. Now, if y'all been with us over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the whole time, every week, it's been the same thing. Let my people go. No. Let my people go. No. Let my people go. I'm going to hit you harder. No. It's been this never-ending battle, and finally, God has got Pharaoh to a place where he says, okay, fine, that's it. Get out of here. And so the people, this is beautiful, the words, the people of Israel journeyed. They have finally begun the journey. Egypt, if you will, is in the rearview mirror. The promised land is ahead of them. They are moving toward this place that they have been waiting and praying for for years. And as they move into this moment, you've got to think about Moses and Aaron who have been working so hard, being so brave, standing before Pharaoh, a murderer whenever he wanted to be, yet standing there before uh, in honor of God and standing in for God and speaking to Pharaoh on behalf of his people. And finally, we get the picture that Moses and Aaron get to lead these people out. And it's so exciting. And it says there's 600,000 men. And if you notice the key word is men, and scripture oftentimes does this, really just talks about the men, not because the women didn't matter, but that's just how they did their accounting, if you will. But if it's 6,000 men, we'll just assume that they all got married. That may not be the case, but let's just assume. That means there's 1.2 million, and if any of them had kids, that number goes up. Now, they didn't have birth control like we have birth control. They didn't control. They just let let it go. And so there were kids everywhere, and so we gotta predict this number could be anywhere from 1.2 million to maybe 3 million, maybe more people when it's all said and done. This isn't just a small group of people heading down the road to get a smoothie. These guys are taking off and they are an army marching in. And what a moment as they begin to move toward the promised land. And then it says that they were with a mixed multitude. And if you don't stop for a minute and catch that, you might miss a beautiful thing. Somewhere along the way, some of the Egyptians finally got the clue that this God was the God. The mixed multitude tells us that it wasn't just the people of Israel, but that some of the Egyptians, we don't know how many, could be 5%, 10%, 20%, who knows, but some of the Egyptians have jumped on board. They have realized that whatever's happening over here, this is not of God. That is the God. Watching his power in all of these plagues, I want to follow that God. And so that mixed multitude means that there were people from both sides joining together, following God as they moved out of Egypt into the promised land. And then the last little part says very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And basically what this means is the people of Israel came into Egypt, a small family. They left a rather large nation and God let them leave fully stocked. They had what they needed as they departed. Isn't it marvelous to think that God could take a small family and through slavery, develop them into a large nation and then send them out of that place where they were once slaved with everything that they could need for the moment. Is that not just our God? 
What a marvelous thought. And so that kind of catches us up to where we are. So now we begin in chapter 13, verse 1, and we'll look at our first little point here. Let me read the verse to you. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. So what God says is, I want you to set apart. I want you to dedicate to me the firstborn of all of these areas. And in this culture, it was often considered that the firstborn, the first of your livestock, the first of your earnings, they were considered special. They were considered above the rest. And so we always give God our best. And so it was always required that the first would come. And so this is very interesting as God is setting the stage for them as they navigate into this new life. And we understand this. We understand about, we've heard about tithing. We've heard about uh, giving God our very best. We've heard about some of these things, but it's important that we understand this principle. See, uh, if you remember back in Genesis when God created the seventh day and on the seventh day he did what? He rested and he set that aside as what? The Sabbath, right? It's the day of rest. It's a day dedicated to God. But that doesn't mean that the other six days don't belong to him. It just means that of all the seven days, we're setting this one above and beyond the rest. See, so many people, especially in our culture, in our, our American church today, we see it as, well, if I just give God that one day, then I can have these other six to myself to do whatever I want. And God doesn't operate that way. He says, I've given you everything. Everything belongs to me, but I've incorporated you into this beautiful picture, but I want you to set this day not as the only day, but a day above and beyond the rest. It's the same thing with our finances. The money that you have, the money that I have, it all belongs to God. God gave it to us. He gave it as a gift, as a, as a treasury. He's extended that to us, and he says, all of it belongs to me, but I'm giving it as a gift, but I ask that you take all that belongs to me and dedicate a portion of that to me, the first portion to me above the rest. And so what God is doing here is setting the stage for this same principle to be carried out among the people. And it's very interesting. They finally get freedom. They have moved out of slavery into the, or they're moving toward the promised land. They are a free people. And what is one of the first thing God does? He sets rules. You're free Here's some rules for you to follow. Kind of interesting. And this is where a lot of people struggle with religion, which they should. They struggle with church. They struggle with God because this God is just a God of a bunch of rules and a bunch of things that I can't do. And I want to be free, right? Have you ever had that thought? Just shake your head. You don't have to acknowledge it out loud. I want to be free. I want to be able to do whatever I want. But what happens so often is when we're able to do whatever we want, we end up right in the spot where we need that same freedom from God because we found ourselves in a place we didn't want to be, Right? And so, so many people struggle with this idea when I become a believer, I lose all my freedom. But the reality is it's not like that at all. And this is the first point I want to share with you, is that your life has been set apart for God. Your life, my life, every life of every Christian has been set apart for God. Now listen, when we wrap our minds around this, it starts us on a path that could change everything. See, so many people go through college, they go through their career, they go through their marriage, and it's all about them. It's all about what they want, what they desire, what they think, what they want to be best or think is best, and they spend their life pursuing their own desires 
rather than stepping back and linking in with the story of God. And so many people struggle with this idea because they want freedom, not realizing that true freedom is found under the guidance of God. The best freedom is found under the guidance of God. Here's what's marvelous. God doesn't free us, and we reference here in modern times to salvation. God doesn't free us to then bind us by rules. He frees us and then sets guards or protection for us so that we can experience life in safety. We can experience life without pain, right? It's like the stove burner. There's a reason why you don't touch things that are hot. Your body naturally, for most of you, tells you don't do that. And you know if I do, what happens? Extreme pain. No one does that just for fun. If you do, there's a class for you down the hall. No, I'm just kidding. Right? None of us do that though. Why? Because we're pre-wired to know this. it's the same process. God's given us these, these guidelines. Why? He set us apart but he didn't just set us apart to run around and do anything. He set us apart so that we could be something. That was God's design and his desire. And so he sets these parameters for us because he loves us. And isn't it marvelous that we're not just free to then wait for heaven to come. But rather while we're here, he works us into his story. You and I, we've been set apart by God for God, to be a part of what he is doing in the world around us. And this is marvelous. We, and we've, we've talked about this many times here before. We cannot get so caught up trying to decide what we're going to do with our future. We've got to discover what God has for us. And some people say, well, if I do that, I may not like it. I promise you. If you discover what God wants you to do with your life, it will always be something you grow to love more than anything else. Always. It's a guarantee when we spend our time discovering who God is and what he wants us to do. And this is what's so marvelous. Now, I think about before I leave the freedom thing, I want to make sure we, we get this. Um, I don't know if you've ever been driving in your car. and you, I know none of you did this maybe once in my life. You have this, this sticker that's expired. Anyone ever, we can be honest, right? It's church, right? It's, we can, anyone ever done that? Maybe right now, today? You took the back road? Yeah, I see you. All right. So you know what it's like, right? So you're, you're driving, and uh, you've got the windows down, and the music's up, and you're just jamming. You're having a good time. The wind's blowing through your hair if you have hair, and you're just driving, and then all of a sudden, you see that police officer pull behind you. And all of a sudden, the windows go up, the music comes down, you sit up straight, don't know what that's going to do, but you're just doing anything to just get right in the lane. Why? Because you're afraid that you're going to get pulled over for the sticker that you're supposed to have fixed already. But oh, what a different experience it is when you're driving down the road and you've got your windows down and the music up and you're banging whatever it is you listen to and the wind's blowing through your hair and you got a little kid in the back, oh no, that's me, sorry. And you're just driving and then the police officer pulls behind you and you're like, hey man, no problem. I got nothing to worry about because I am within the restrictions that have been defined so I'm gonna keep on driving, I'm gonna keep turning my music up because I am right where I'm supposed to be. That's how it is with God. It's not a bunch of you can't do this and you can't do this and stay in that corner. No, but if you stay within the confines, you will enjoy life like most people don't get to enjoy. Most, most unbelievers, and honestly, even some believers, their biggest struggle is that they try to enjoy life, but they're always doing it looking over their shoulder because whatever they're doing is not what they're supposed to be doing. That is not the way to enjoy life. To be free to do whatever you want is probably the most dangerous place you could ever be. 
But when we are free in Christ, within the confines he has given us, it is the most rewarding, most amazing experience you'll ever have. We've got to understand this. Your life has been set apart for God. How marvelous. We continue, verse 13. It says, then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten today in the month of Abib. You are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Listen to these instructions. And on the seventh day, there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No unleavened bread shall be seen with you. And no leavened bread shall be seen with you in all of your territory. You shall tell your son on that day. It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt and you shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. What's happening? God is setting into place a memorial to remember what he did for his people that he took them out of Egypt and moved them into the promised land. And so he's establishing this right away, that I don't want you to forget what we've done. And we're gonna remember by eating bread that doesn't have leaven in it. I mean, it's not gonna be able to rise. It's not gonna have the time it takes for that leaven to make the bread rise up. You're gonna eat bread without it. Why? Because you had to be ready when the Passover came, ready to go when God told you to go. And so we're gonna institute this this seven-day feast to remember and to celebrate what God did for us. It's a celebration. But if you get the picture, think of it like this. How many of you have a little brother? Okay, you sit down at the dinner table, your family gathers, and you're getting ready to eat dinner, and your little brother looks out, and he sees that there's no dinner rolls, and you always have dinner rolls. In fact, that's the only thing he likes that your mom cooks, and the dinner rolls are not there, and your brother's going, uh, what happened? Where are the rolls? That's my favorite part, and your dad says, listen, tonight we're not eating rolls. Well, why? I want to eat rolls because we are using this moment to remind ourselves of what God did for us so that we would never forget. And God has instituted memorials like this already, moments like this in history. We celebrate it at Christmas. We celebrate it at Easter as what? We open presents? Careful, trick question. We celebrate bunnies? No. Easter egg hunts? No. Those are all the world things. Ah, listen, don't let, don't, don't let the world destroy Don't let the world take away what these moments remember. Every year we gather to celebrate Christmas and every year we gather to celebrate Easter and we celebrate the Lord's Supper all the time because we are remembering what God has done for us. Don't let the world take that from us, okay? And so what's happening here with this festival, this feast, is that there's a moment being created by God so that they would remember. And this leads us to the second point. You'll live different When you remember, remember what? Well, yes, Christmas, Easter, celebrating the Lord's Supper, communion, remembering through those ways. 
but also when you remember the day that you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, the day that you were baptized, the spiritual markers that have maybe already taken place as you've been journeying through this life as a Christian. When we think about salvation, it, it should be the moment that when we're in a dark time or we're feeling like maybe, maybe this thing of following the Lord is too much or too heavy or I'm not sure, and we remember the day that we said yes to Christ, that we turned our back to the world and said, I'll follow you wherever you go. If you remember, it's a lot easier to do that when the music's playing and everybody's happy, but when things get real and we say, no, Lord, no, I remember I remember the commitment I made. I'm not backing away. I'm gonna follow you. Man, when we remember those moments, sometimes, guys, especially if you've been a Christian a long time, you just need to sit back for a minute and reflect. Put yourself in your shoes that day that you said yes to Christ. Remember what was going through your mind. Remember what you felt. Remember why. Think about the day you were baptized, the day you said, I want everyone to know that I've chosen to follow Christ. I don't care who sees. I am unashamed. I am ready to do this. When we remember those days, it changes the way we live. We also have these spiritual markers that just happen. These are, these are impromptu. These aren't a theological thing. They're just moments. I think of one for me. I've had many in my life, but one big one when it came to ministry was uh, I, was, I was teaching the college class here back years ago, and uh, things were going well, and we had a, a group of students, some of you will be in this group, where they went off to school. And so, uh, you know, we were excited. We were sending them out in the world. It was all great. And then not just, but two weeks in, one of the guys that we'd been investing in all summer, man, we'd been pouring into him. He had been growing. And then all of a sudden, he just fell off the deep end, just two weeks away at school. And I remember calling the pastor that was here at the time overseeing that group. And I remember just being so mad. I said, you're just going to listen, and I'm going to talk, and I don't care if I get in trouble. I don't even, I just, I'm so mad. I can't believe this happened. And I'm going on and on, and he's just listening. And I'm like, you should say something, but okay. And then he let me finish and you know what he said? He said, Chad, I have great news. He said, I actually think this moment confirms something I was thinking. I think you have a call to ministry. And I said, no, you don't say that right now. You're supposed to yell with me and then find that kid and bring him home. But I never forgot it. Because it was the conversation that got my mind flipped from just serving the Lord, not, not even thinking about it. I was just doing what I felt he called me to do to where someone finally identified and said, maybe you should take some time to think about this because this is probably a mile marker in your life. See, we have those moments, and God wants us to remember these things. He wants us to reflect because, listen, when we live with these things, when we reflect on these things, when we remember these things, it affects the way we live. It's one thing to say yes to God one night and then walk out and live a totally different way just a few months later. But when we remember what it was that drove us, it will change the way we live. Please hear this. We do not live to get to the cross. We're not trying to work our way to the cross, but our behavior is our response to the cross. Because of what God did for us on the cross, because he saved us, I live this way to be obedient and to say thank you to him for what he's done for me. When we remember these moments, it affects the way we live. Verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. 
But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out from the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, go surely, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Let's pause just for a second. I didn't have this in my notes, but I want to not miss this moment. So Joseph, if you remember the story of Joseph, 400 years ago, he passed away. And before he passed away, he said, listen, he probably did just like this. Brothers, listen to me. You will not bury my bones in Egypt. God has promised that we're gonna get to the promised land. I don't care how long it takes, but you will save my bones. I want to be buried in the promised land, not in Egypt. It took 400 years, but the moment had finally come. So when we read that, it doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but in that moment, it was another tremendous reminder of the faithfulness of the men that have gone before that were part of this story and part of the people of Israel getting to this moment. So what a marvelous thing. So they took his bones and they left, and it says, and they moved from Sakoth and encamped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. Now here's what I want you to see. It said that when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Translation, they had a route that would have got them to their destination quickly, but God decided to take them the long way. Not only was it a route that would have got them quickly, for you guys that need modern translation, it would be like having the option to take the brand new, fully stocked, very expensive 99 all the way out, but instead of taking 99 and just flying past everybody around you, you decided to walk down Barker Cypress. Y'all wanna try that visual picture? All right, let's go on a field trip. No, right? This is the kind of picture. God says, yes, there's a shorter way but I'm taking you this way. What do you think the people did? Just like you did. I'm just kidding, maybe you did, I don't know, you would. Are you kidding me, why can't we, it's right there. They just built it, it's right, that's what it's for. And in fact, this road would have given them access to trading posts, it would have given them access to different facilities and people, I mean, it just made sense, but there was one thing that they weren't thinking about. And that was that all along that route, there would have been Egyptian military post and they would have had to deal with them most likely fight against them and God knew that they were not ready yet and so God decided we're not taking the highway we are actually going through the bug infested wilderness but I want you to trust me because I have a plan and here's what I want you to hear tonight and you're going to love this one this is going to be your favorite one of the whole night God's long way is always better than your short way now, hold on. Don't say amen until you mean it. Because it's like, oh, it's all good in the AC right now. Things feel good. I know pro- amen, brother. And then you get it, and you're like, oh, man, this is what he was talking about. I'm not saying amen no more. This is not good. Here's the reality, guys. Listen. God's long way is always better than our short way. What happens on the long way? God equips you. God develops you. God strengthens you. God builds your faith in him and God's doing that for many of you some of you right now man you're going well I've been single for like three weeks I'm just kidding I'm just kidding (laughs) no but man seriously I've been single and you know I've been listening to all this stuff and and I love all this stuff and I want to pursue God but I also want to pursue a woman 
and I want to find the woman. I don't even want, I just want to find the woman. Like, God, I want you to just drop her in my lap, and we just get married in this. I've been waiting. I've been impatient. I don't want to admit that, God, but I've been waiting, and I'm ready. And so many people get so frustrated in this category, going, why can't this just happen now? And I'm going to be honest. I don't have all those answers for you, but I'll tell you this. It's going to feel real good. God's long way is always better than your short way. So here's what you could do right now. Ladies, you could walk out of here, you could change your clothing, get a little skimpier, you can talk a little bit differently, you can hang out in all the wrong places, and you could probably find a guy that will put a ring on it. Now, he's probably going to take it off just as fast as he put it on down the road. That's just a newsflash. But you could find something. You could take the short way and get yourself a man. Or you could trust God through, if you will, the wilderness of singleness. (laughs) And you could trust him as he navigates you through all of the turns that you just, and all the bad guys all along the way, and then wait and watch as God brings the right one to you. Same thing happens with career. We're young, right? We just started our career, but you know what? Hey, I'm the best thing that's walked in this room. I need to get to the top. I want to be at the top. In fact, this person that's over me doesn't even know what she's doing. If we could just remove her, this whole system would move better. Of course, none of you would ever say that, right? And immediately, your mind and the world and the enemy lets you think that's the right way to think. You could do better. Let's move you in there. And then all of a sudden, you're ready to cut corners, cut deals, lie, steat, and chill, chill, chill. Oh, (laughs) Lie, cheat, and steal. Focus, people. I know you're all thinking, I can do better than him, but get over it. It's me right now. And we do all these things, though, because we want to get there. And we take the short way, and you know what happens? You lose your job, you lose your integrity. And for some people, they never recover. And some of you need to hear this. I don't care where you're working. You need to trust that the time you're putting in is worth it. Do you know, you know, well, I'm gonna tell you something. This stage right here, do you know when we started Underground, I put, I worked for six straight months, day and night, calling, Facebooking, emailing, doing marketing, all the things you could, six months. I poured my life, every minute of my single life. There's a benefit, by the way, to being single. Every minute of it into this thing. And I'll tell you what, we opened the doors, and you know who was standing on the stage? Not me. In fact, I didn't teach her for the first year, not by choice, but by demand. Because the people knew that if I get up here too soon, this young guy that needs to figure some stuff out, this thing's gonna derail quickly. And as much as I didn't like it, I had to watch as other people got to experience the benefits of the hard work I was putting in behind the scenes. But can I tell you something? Can I promise you something if you struggle with this? It was worth it. And I think even to this day, if it were to happen again, I would still probably rage against the machine because there's just something about this that, that makes you just, it needs to be me, all this hard. But it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because I got to see the other side. That it wasn't about one person. It was about what God was doing. That there was a lot of things about ministry I thought happened up here. They don't. They happen in the, behind the scenes that no one ever sees. And so whatever it is, relationship, career, ministry, listen, 
the long road, God's long way is always better than when we cut those corners and get somewhere quickly, only to get removed just as quickly. And God did the same thing with these people as he transitioned them away from danger, as he navigated them in, and he took them on the long route. Let's keep going quickly so we can wrap up. Chapter 13, verse 21, and the Lord went before them by, by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. They didn't need a GPS system because they had the first ever GPS system. You ready for this? God's positioning system. That was good. You can write it down. That was good. For all my pun people, you're welcome. That was my only one for the year. But the reality is, they knew exactly where to go. Do you know how? Because God sent a pillar of cloud. And Psalm 105 tells us that that cloud not only led them during the day, but also helped to provide some shade for them, a little AC system provided from the one and only God Almighty. Pretty cool. And so as they navigated through the day, this cloud led them along. And then at night, you can't see a cloud because it's night and it's dark, and they didn't have city lights like we do. It was pitch black, so there was a pillar of fire that led them all the way, and it said that it stayed with them until the very end. God was walking with them, leading them, navigating them, and then all of a sudden you go, well, that's great for them, but what about us? I don't see any pillars. I mean, wouldn't it be nice for those of you for that first category struggling with singleness, and you're like, is she the one, and boom, pillar, wow. A cloud or a fire, no pun intended, right? And then you're like, is this the right career? Boom, cloud, that's the one, let's go. Wouldn't that be awesome? And we begin to think, like, why wouldn't God, why doesn't God still offer these things to us? I mean, that seems kind of silly. These people had something. Why can't we? And I'm telling you what, I have good news for you. You may not believe this, but you have something even better. Even better. Because you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. No, 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 you don't understand this. I'm afraid you don't understand what this means. I think you think that's just some special thing that happens when you become a Christian and, and now, oh yes, he was once out of my heart, now he's in my heart. No, you have the power of God living inside of you. Whoa, this is awesome. That power, it empowers you with spiritual gifts it protects you with conviction and weighs on you when you do something to help navigate you. And then it guides you. It leads you if you'll trust it. That's the power. And you know what? These Old Testament people we're talking about right now, they would give anything. Listen, we think about this. I think in a minute we get to the parting of the Red Sea. I do. I kind of want to ask Moses a couple things. Like, did you see fish in the wall? Like, was the ground dry or what, like what, what was it like? Can you just tell me? Because it's such a cool thought. And you know what they're going to say to us symbolically? They're going to look at us and be like, yeah, 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 that was great. Can you tell us what it was like to have God living inside of you? Because none of us here got to have that. What was it like? Tell me. Tell me what it was like being able to wake up every morning and talk to God and to feel his presence. Oh, tell me that you didn't even go to work every day. You just sat there and talked to God. I don't even know. What, would you, what was it like? Please, please tell us. And you know what you're going to say if you're not careful? Uh, next, next question. 
You know why? Because I go, well, yeah, I had God living inside of me, but I had a job and I had school and I had a girlfriend and you know, I was always so busy and I, I, maybe I didn't quite spend time with God like, like I could have or I, I should have. And I don't know what it's like in heaven because I think everything's peaceful, but if there was a moment when it would be broken down, this would be the moment when they're standing in front of you saying, my brother, my sister, you had God living inside of you and you tell me you got distracted by a girlfriend? My friend, I'm going to heavenly love hug you in a way that you will remember. Are you kidding me, guys? And listen, this is what's so crazy. We, we kind of laugh about it. It's fun, of course. But the reality is this is true. And you know why so many Christians are lost? So many people are wandering around. So many churches are broken. Because when God is inside of us and we are not engaging with God and listening to God and asking him to lead us, guess what happens? We end up wandering around in the wilderness with absolutely no direction. You have God living inside of you. You don't need a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. He is right there, right here with us, right now. He's sitting in this room all around. He is here. How are you doing with that? When I say that, it comes right back at me too. Don't get me wrong. The first time I heard this, I'm telling you what, I wasn't laughing. I, was, I wanted to cry because I was so embarrassed to think that God dwells in me and I'm not taking the time to listen to what he has to say. And then I wonder why I don't have the answers to the questions in life when the God that created life is inside of me and wants to guide me. Now, some of you are going to go, well, I don't hear God. Let me tell you a couple things. Number one, please hear this. We, we don't ever want to get caught in this thing where we are working to get God to do something or to talk to us. It's not how this works. But I think the best way we can think about this is the idea of opening ourselves up. We want to open ourselves up to God. What does that look like? Well, number one, you got to get rid of the distractions in your life. We, uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the darkness, and we were joking about what it would be like if we all sat in the darkness that Egypt experienced for that time frame. And then as I thought about that more, I realized that would be the greatest thing that could ever happen to us because there would be no distractions, and we would have no choice but to talk to God. It would be amazing. We've got to get rid of the distractions. Some of us, like we're all sinners, forgiven by grace but there are some of us that got some sin that has still got its claws in us and until you cut that junk out you are never going to fully experience God the way he desires for us to be experienced we're never going to be perfect but if sin has its claws in you addiction is ripping you you're never going to hear from God the way that he would desire for you to we've got to open ourselves up now some of us you go I just want to hear from God I'm waiting for him to talk to me. And it is possible that God may audibly talk to you, but it is absolutely by far the least of probably the ways that happen in our current time. It's possible he can, he will, I'll never deny that, and I think it's possible, and I hope he does for you. And I hope one day he does for me. But the way he talks to us the most is through the word of God. It's the truth, it is not a book that's just there, it's living, it's breathing, it is him speaking to you and I. So some of us are going, I want God to talk to me, but this thing's always closed. And you wonder why he can't get your attention because you've put a blocker up. We've got to open ourselves up so God can engage with us. Open up your word so that he can speak to you. And then I'm telling you, as we just spend time with him and around other people, centered around things that are godly, centered around things that have focus and meaning, 
God begins to open up and speak, and the next thing you know, you, it's like having that best friend that they can call you and you pick up, and they don't have to say anything, but you just know something's wrong. You can get to that kind of place with God, and he would desire for that, but when we allow things to get in the way, we close ourselves off. So please hear me. I don't think there's a lot of things we just do to work our way into this. I think you have to be really careful with that theology. But we can always think about just opening ourselves up to be undistracted. God, I want to hear from you. I don't want anything to get in the way of that. Whatever sin it is, I want to let it go. Whatever time I'm not giving you, I want to remove it. I want to give you everything I have so that I can hear from you. And I'm telling you, if you begin to do this, you begin to wrap your mind around what this looks like, there will be so many questions in life that you thought you'd never get an answer to that God will answer, and he will answer boldly and confidently, and you will have absolutely no doubt. Uh, going back to ministry for a moment, when I was getting ready to take this job here, um, actually right before that, I got a job at another church down in Sugarland, and I hadn't had an offer before, and I was ready to go, man. I was, it was done. Ministry was the call. I knew what I was doing. knew where I was going. I was ready to go. Opportunity came, and I, at the little breakfast, as they offered it to me, I didn't even want to think about it. didn't want to pray about it. I just wanted to go. I was ready to jump over the table and say, we're on team. Let's go. Let's do this. I'm ready. I want to serve the Lord. That's what I want to do, and he made me, praise the Lord, go home. Pray about it. Think about it. And give yourself some time. He just said, man, just give time. Let the Lord speak. Don't, don't be distracted by all the emotions that run, run wild at first thought. And I, and I kid you not, after that week was over, the Lord had gotten my attention and had shown me that that was not where he wanted me to go. And it was crazy because even my parents told me I was crazy for not taking it. It's a true story. If my dad's listening, sorry. I told him. I turned that job down. And a couple weeks later, maybe about a month later, second came and offered me a job. Didn't know that was coming. Wow, God moves. One year later, ready for this? One year later, that church that I almost took the job at had to close their doors. And every one of them were out on their own. All of them would have had ministry backgrounds to move on, but I would have been the one that had nothing. Because it would have been the first thing I'd ever done. Hadn't even finished school yet. See, when we get in a place where we are opening ourselves up to God, and giving him a chance to speak, he will guide us and direct us like you've never experienced before. But so many of us are cut off, secluded, isolated, that we can't hear his voice. And when you leave here tonight thinking about how can I open myself up so that I could hear him better. Last little part, and then we'll be, I'll just stop because there's more. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changing toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done? Pharaoh changes his mind. That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt and officers all with them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. That sounds familiar, right? New story. No, I'm just kidding. Same thing. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were all going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all the Pharaoh's horses, chariots. Basically, Pharaoh changes his mind. We let two million slaves go. These guys are doing all the work. I don't want to bow down to this God. He changes his mind even after all of that. He begins to pursue him. Then it goes on. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. Think about this a moment. Lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. They thought they were free and then they look up and they go, are you kidding me? They're coming after us. What in the world? And they feared greatly and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us? These guys are crazy. These guys are crazy. What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? 
Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may just serve the Egyptians. For it would have been even better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die. Do you see how fast they just turned? They were ready. They were done. God was great. He freed us. Now they're back. They hadn't even got to them yet. This was all in the moment. Are some of us like that? Things are good. I'm all yours, Lord. Whatever you need. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Jesus' name. And then things go bad. I ain't going to church. I'm not doing none of that because this, this God just leaves me alone. He abandons me and I'm out on my own. And I'm living. We are just like them. So quick to just turn. Verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near. The, oh, I'm sorry to read that. Last part. 15. Then the Lord said to Moses. Watch this. Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them and I will let glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen and the Egyptians shall know that what I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his, char- his chariots and his horsemen. Then Moses, 21, then Moses marched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by strong east winds all night, took a night. And made the sea dry, and the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went in the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. They walked through the water. And again, I think they saw all the fish, just so you know, there's 12,000 different species of fish. I bet they saw them all. 17 of them are specific to the Red Sea. And this water would have been 9,000 feet high. Yeah, how about that? Do you think they were scared still going through the water? I got it done this, but he get it 9,000. If that falls on us, like, what happened? We're done. We are over. We are over. And then you got to get the picture. They get it about halfway through. They look back, and guess who's coming behind them? The Egyptians. You would have thought God would have somehow stopped them. No, he let them get in the water too. They're coming right behind. They're walking. This wasn't a short journey. It's the Red Sea, and they're just moving. Now the ground's dry. Praise the Lord. That's great. They're moving. They're moving. They're moving. And then all of a sudden, I'm jumping ahead so you can hear. All of a sudden, God says, hey, turn around. Put your hand out. He takes that water, and he brings it right back down on the Egyptians, and not a single one of them walked out that day. God not only provided. God not only led God not only built their faith through the wilderness and that journey through the Red Sea, but God took care of their enemies. God took care of the problems. Please listen to me tonight. Before you go, you need to know this. Not only do you have the direction of God inside of you, you have the power of God both inside you and with you. There is nothing in this world that could stand against you when we are talking about things of God. There are issues in life that will stand. Yes, the sonic guy may get mad at you and there's nothing that God's gonna do. It's enough, that's a different story. But when we are standing for the things of God, when we are following in obedience to God, there is absolutely nothing that can stand before you and I. May that give you courage tonight as you leave with whatever it is that you're facing. It's tremendously important. God has set you apart. Remember what he's done Embrace the long way and trust the direction and the power of God within you. Um, there's one more thing I want to say before I close. Um, I was uh, actually meant to talk about movie special features earlier, but I didn't get to it. Um, but if you've ever watched a movie, uh, I don't know if you're movie buffs, but when they have the special features in a movie, does anybody watch that? Am I the only one? Okay, six of y'all? Cool. Well, for the rest of y'all, just jump on board. 
Uh, but I, I love to watch that. I do. Because I think, I think when you watch the special features first and then you watch the movie, everything changes. Like, for instance, this is a free one for you. You're welcome. All right? Because I'm over time. It doesn't matter. Uh, do y'all remember the, the, the recent Batman movie? I think it was Dark Knight Rises. It opens with the plane scene. I don't know if that's a good movie or not. I apologize. It's totally probably messing up the sermon. Okay. I found out from watching the special features that that plane that was in the sky that they dropped, they actually dropped that plane from the sky to the ground. Now, most of you are like, duh, that's what they always do. No, everything's CG these days. They don't normally drop planes from the sky that could crush a village, but they actually dropped that plane. And so I watched the movie for the first time, and I'm going, that is amazing because, and I'm telling Sarah, they actually dropped, she's like, shut up, I'm watching this. They dropped the plane for real. Like, how crazy. Now, the point is, Listen, when we experience God, when we get to know him and who he is and what he stands for and these stories, these history for us, when we then experience it, it's a whole nother level because you're not surprised. You knew he was going to do it. You were just waiting to see how long it was going to take. But there's another part of the special features, and this is deep. There's a section called the deleted scenes. Y'all ever watched this before? Sometimes they're deleted for good reason. But most of the time, if you ever listen, the director will usually be talking, and he will say, you know what, this actually was a great scene. It was really well done, really well thought through, but it just didn't fit in the story. And so we cut it. And I was sitting there one day watching this, and I'm, I'm just trying to watch a movie, and God is always just speaking, just dropping bombs all the time, truth bombs on me, and I got this thought that, man, I don't want to be that. I don't want God to look at me like, well, he did a pretty good job, but he just never really fit in my story. Now, every one of you have a place in the story, so don't leave here thinking you don't. But it is possible to work yourself out of the story because we didn't center our things, our minds, wrap our minds around some of these thoughts that God has set you apart for something bigger than what you desire. God's empowered you. God is guiding you. He wants to do all these things. He wants you to remember that day you got saved. He wants to remember him and being born at Christmas and his death and resurrection at Easter. He wants you to remember these things. God is working in your life, folks, and I hope you will just open yourself up. But here's the thing. Every one of these things we talked about tonight, every one of them are centered around one central theme. They are only for the believers. If you have not made yourself, understood who God is, asked him to come into your heart, invited him in and made yourself right with God through the power of Jesus Christ and the cross, all of these things are just nice thoughts for you, but they are not real until you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. 